You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Nam, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome uh, to uh, our discussion, our ongoing conversation about, uh, about prayer, about how to pray, the intentionality of prayer, what to think about, what to envision what to uh, uh, direct your heart toward when you pray. And that's the conversation that we started last week in looking at the Nativot Shalom, uh, a, uh, a work of, uh, of, of uh, um, Hasidic essays and, uh, and drashot written by uh, Shalom Noach Berzovsky, uh, the last Slonimer Rebbe who died in, uh, in 2000. Um, and he is talking about the issue of Kavanah, which for lack of a better Translation is um, intention or direction. What you what you uh, what you need to intend when you pray, or whether you need to intend when you pray, and uh, very unique in uh, in Hasidic literature. There are very few uh, Hasidim that uh, will start their essays by quoting Maimonides. Uh, but so that's what uh, he does here. He starts by quoting Maimonides. Um, at the beginning of the essay, where he says that it's um, uh, an obligation for a person to pray every day, um, and uh, and and that uh, and that every kind of prayer, according to Maimonides, needs kavana. Uh, and Maimonides says, Any prayer that doesn't have kavana, any prayer that doesn't have intention, any prayer that you say but you don't mean to be saying it. Right, and uh, that's, I'm going to leave that fairly amorphous because uh, that I think is the question that he raises: is what exactly does it mean to have kavanah? Does it mean that um, that you need to um, uh, understand er- and and mean every single word that you say? Does it mean that you need to understand some of the words that you say? Does it just mean that you need to um, know at the moment that you're praying? that you're standing in prayer, right, uh, as opposed to, you know, many of us, myself included, uh, when we stand in prayer, uh, sometimes, you know, even though we, we showed up at shul, uh, we don't really know that we're standing in prayer. We don't really think about it. Um, so is that what kavanah means? Right? Uh, so that, that, I think, is the open question that, uh, that, that he leads. Okay, now we're in the second paragraph. And he says, B'dat harambam sh'im lo kiven libo yachzor palel. Okay, so the Rambam says that if a person doesn't have intention, doesn't uh, direct his or her heart in prayer, he needs to he or she needs to go back and pray again. Right? So whatever kavanah means, if you don't have it when you say the Shema, or you don't have it when you say the Amida, and you finish the Amida, you're like, you know, I really didn't have kavanah when I said that. Then you have to then you have to go back and do the Amida again. That's what the Rambam says. So there's a there's a little bit of ambiguity in his in his phraseology, right? So mistimat l'shono mashma din Okay, so it, it, the inference in it, in the ambiguity of his language, infer, uh, implies that that's the, the the law applies. That law applies to all prayer, to kavanam akeret. That intention can hold you back. In other words, um, intention matters in, in, in offering a prayer. And if you don't offer a prayer with the proper intention, you have to go back and do it again. 
V'kasheh. But this is a difficulty. Shibet Perak Yud did Tefillah. So, but because in another place in Maimonides' Laws of Tefillah, he says, "Katav v'zel l'shono, mishemit palel v'lo kiven libo yachzor v'yipalel b'kavana." Okay, so one who prays and doesn't have the proper intention should go back and pray with the proper intention. V'im kiven et libo b'bracha rishona shuv enotzarich. But if a person has the proper intention in the first blessing, right? Let's say you're praying the Amida and. There are 19 blessings in the Amidah. For 18 of the blessings, you don't have any proper intention. But the first blessing, right, Magen uh, Avraham, you really meant it, right? Or you really felt at that first blessing that you have stood in the presence of God. That happens to me a lot, by the way. Like, I get up to, to do the Amidah, I'm, like, good to go for the first bracha, and then I'm sort of on autopilot for the rest of them. Right? And I don't really think about what I'm doing. Sometimes I probably, because I do it a lot by heart, sometimes if I, if I like really were to like videotape myself, my guess is I'd probably miss words and maybe even miss whole uh, blessings uh, because, you know, I go fast. There's this great, um, my, my teacher in, uh, in Jerusalem, um, uh, Reb Shalom Brat, um, tells the story of a yeshiva student who, um, who, who davens very, very fast. And uh, and he and his teacher comes to him and, and says, you know, I, I notice that you're davening ex- extraordinarily fast. And the student says, well, you know, uh, I think of my davening like a train, and I, it needs to go it needs to go really fast so that the Yetzer Hara doesn't have time to jump on board. <laughs> and uh, and the teacher says, well, you know, there's only there's only one uh, there's only one uh, rapscallion on board that train, and it's not the Yetzirah, right? Oh because gosh. you shouldn't pray like that, right? So, but I do all the time, um, and I, so I, I really uh, uh, resonate with what the Rambam's saying here, right? So there, there's a sense that like if you if you do if you have kavanah on that first blessing. You don't need to go back and repeat it again, right? That's uh, very helpful to me because sometimes that's the only place that I have kavanah. But so, but that's a difficulty in what Maimonides says because Maimonides in one place says you need kavanah to pray, and if you don't have it, you have to do it again. And then in another place he says you need to have it. If you don't have it, you need to go back and do it again. But if you have it a little bit, you're okay. Right, so this means explicitly that that kavana doesn't hold you back in prayer, unless you don't have kavana in that first blessing. I looked this up last week. It's Hagaon Rebbe. Chananel um, Halevi, I think, um, who was a, 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 mid, a, a medieval, I think, uh, sorry, a late, uh, a late, an early modern rabbi, um, another Hasidic uh, master. Um, so he explains this about what Maimonides says in, in a book that he wrote that there are two kinds of kavanah in prayer. Aleph, kavanat perush hamilot shemotzi mepi betvila. Okay? So the first kind of kavanah in prayer, the first kind of intention in prayer, is that you mean the words. Right? So when you get to Magain Avraham, right, you really mean right, to address God as the shield of Abraham. And you think about God's protection and care for Abraham, and you relate that to your own life. 
right? Or when you get to Slach Lanu Avinu Kichatanu, right? Forgive us, Father, because we have sinned. When you get to that, you really mean it because you 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 mean that you have something to forgive. Not necessarily that you hate yourself harder, but that you uh, but that you mean that you need forgiveness. Right? So that's the first kind. And that actually, my my guess is when most of us think about this term kavana, that's what we think about. You're supposed to mean the words that you say in prayer. You're supposed to get them all. Which is a big barrier, I think, for a lot of us and a lot of people in prayer because we pray in a foreign language. Right? Um, and so that's, that's, that, I think, is a, is, a, is a major problem. But that's what I think most of us think about when we think about you're supposed to mean what you say when you pray. Right? That's, that's kavana. But the second possibility, shechaven et libo sheomed nochach pnei Hashem. But the other kind of kavanah has nothing to do with the words at all. It is about, it's about directing your heart, knowing that at the moment of prayer, you're standing before the Almighty. That's kavanah. has nothing to do with the words that you're saying. has nothing to do with you meaning what you're saying. Right? It only has to do with your knowledge that you're standing before the Master of the world. Va'al kavanah zo ketav rabbeinu beperek Okay, and so he suggests that that's what Maimonides meant. When Maimonides meant, when Maimonides said that you need kavanah to pray, and if you don't have kavanah, it wasn't really prayer. What he means is the second kind of kavanah, that you know when you're standing in prayer that you're standing before God, and you have the awareness that you're standing before God in God's throne room, as it were. He says this elsewhere. What is the definition of kavanah? Kavanah means that you turn your heart from all other thoughts and you consider yourself as if you're standing before the divine presence. That's kavanah. I was reading this uh, essay... The Huffington Post has a religion section that's really great, and uh, and so I, I read a lot of the Jewish stuff on it. But sometimes I'll read some of the non-Jewish stuff on it. And there was a uh, um, the the Hindu chaplain at Columbia University wrote a piece on it, where he talks about meditation, and he talks about uh, the the sort of uh, um, hectic you know fast food culture that we live in. Um, uh, the instant gratification culture, where you, where you want to get the most bang for your buck and you want to do it as quickly as possible, and what that results in most people, um, and I, it resonated with me, is a very sort of scatterbrainness. Right? That uh, that I have like a million thoughts a minute, and I'm always looking for the, um, you know, well, how do I connect this to my life, and how do I, and 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 uh, and then when I'm sit, when I'm in prayer, it all happens to me all the time. I'm like, oh no, I have, you know, I have this idea for a sermon, or I I need to send that email, or I need to make this phone call to a person, and then I go and I write it down, or if I I just stopped recently taking my phone in with me to davening, and I realized this the other week when I was in California. Um, at a, at a conference I was at, that I have an incredible cell phone addiction, and I said to myself, "Well, I'm at Camp Ramah, I won't use my cell phone." Right? So I, uh, um, so I, I, I turned it off and I put it in my uh, room and I left it in my room during the day. I figured I'd only look at it once a day to 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 make sure there's no emergency emails from work and to talk to a deer at night. And I felt myself at multiple times in the day 
almost breaking into a cold sweat, right? Withdrawal, Withdrawal symptoms. symptoms. I really had, I wonder if anybody has, has tried, the, I mean, on Shabbos I'm able to do it for some reason, but it, although it is getting harder, I have to admit. Um, but I, but there were moments I'm like reaching in my pocket wanting to press buttons and wanting to look at my phone just to kind of scroll through it. And and there's this, there's this, uh, there's this sense that, um, that, that my mind is always directed to things that are not directly in front of me. Right? My mind is always in my in myself, and my my mind is always in the email that I want to send, or the or the uh, appointment that I'm thinking about making or not making, or the call I'm thinking about making or not making, or what time is it, right? Um, those sort of things. And go ahead. I used to wear my phone on my belt. I used to get phantom buzzes. Vibrating. I do too. You think it's vibrating? It's not. It's not, yeah. Your body gets habituated to those periodic whatevers. Yeah, I have that all the time. And it, it, it was it was really shocking for me to, to see, right, how much I, I would get those, right, even when I didn't have the phone on yeah. me at all. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a really, I think, uh, worthy challenge, right, even if it's just on Shabbos. On Shabbos, for some reason, I don't really get the urge. Um, but... Uh, um, but there I did, I guess because I knew it was a weekday and I, you know, I knew it was like, sort of like, because I'm at a conference, it's not really a vacation, sort of like it's semi-work and, you know, all these sort of things. But you always have this question, and Arnold is always saying, what, what did people do before they had that cell phone? I mean, did they have to have all those messages all the time? Did you have to get all those calls? Did you have to start texting back? You know, it's... Uh, pink slips. Don't call, you got a message from Companies out of business. Out of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what happened to that? Did they print the Companies money for out, out of business? Yeah, it's but it's addictive and it's mm-hmm. it's not really necessary to be addicted to something like that if you think about it. It's it's it's, it's unexciding. You know, I um I mean I didn't have my first cell phone until I was I think sixteen and I had uh, well they weren't really ubiquitous then. Now they give them to them at six. Oh, right, I know. Um, and it's, I mean, it's, you know... Um, no babies come with a phone. <laughs> no babies it, come with a phone. It's true. I, you know, it's... Um, the, you know, the, the, the ubiquity of it is... is um, it's, it's really hard to find a teenager now that is not constantly with their face in a screen and, and, and looking at a phone all the time. All the time. Um, they don't talk it, with text. They don't talk, they don't talk right, anymore. Right. And they um, don't email, really. They just text. In... in, in, in uh, in the sanctuary at Shabbat, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're always sitting in the back. Yeah. I, I had to stop some kids the other day. Well, you they know, Rabbi Stein said to me, oh, well, at least they're quiet. But I, I'd say, well, I, I'd say we don't play with toys on Shabbat. That's what I call it. Yeah. yeah. Well, but the but so but 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 part of this issue, right, is that uh, that that we're there's there's something very uncomfortable. I think I think that the, the part of the um, the appeal of a of of these kind of devices is that there's something very uncomfortable about like about just kind of uh, sitting still. Right and 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 uh, and being where you are and thinking you're missing something or thinking you're missing something right and so that's exactly what he's saying here right what Rambam is saying about prayer is that and this is the real challenge of prayer especially in our time is that you should turn your thoughts from everything else right put the blinders on and 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 think about the fact that you're standing in God's presence if you really had a sense that you were standing in God's presence would you be scrolling through your text messages. 
Um, so that's the challenge that the that the Rambam uh, uh, suggests. Um, and I, let me just uh, finish this paragraph up really quickly. Hakavana hazot That's the essence of prayer. And if you don't know, if you don't have this intentionality that you're standing in the presence of uh, of God, it's not prayer at all. Okay, but this issue of, 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 of your intentionality in the words is still relevant. And it has to do with what the rabbis say in, uh, in the Talmud and Brachot, that the person who prays needs to direct his heart in, uh, in all prayers. But if he doesn't, if he can't intend uh, have the proper intention in all the prayers, he should have in, in, the proper intention in at least one of them. Right? So, I think what he's suggesting is, for prayer to be real prayer, it needs to have the awareness that you're standing before God. It doesn't need to have the knowledge, the understanding, the, the, the intention of all the words. But it needs to have that, it needs to have that kind of intention, at least in some. At least in some prayer. At least in one prayer. Right? So, that if you, if you approach prayer with a certain kind of meditative quality, with a certain kind of uh, um, uh, concentration, but you're not concentrating on the words themselves, you're just concentrating on the, on the act and the moment and the space of being in prayer. And you're able to hit one word that resonates in English or Hebrew, one idea that you that you that 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 you connect with, right? Then your prayer was, then you then your prayer was an effective prayer. And then he goes on to say that that, that that's not the uh, the uh, practical law. That's not what the uh, later. Authority said, "Ruim hadvarim lemisha omram be'etzim mehuta tefila." But these are, are are worthy things to consider um, when when we're praying. Okay, so that is the suggestion that Ntivot Shalom makes: that the essence of prayer, the way to tell if your prayer is effective, the way to know whether you've done anything, is did you enter that space with an awareness that you're standing in the presence of God. Your turn.